Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. This week, we've got two bonus episodes that I got from the Oklahoma Baseball Coaches Association Clinic. I've broken them up into a college episode and a high school episode, and we will still have our regular episode on Thursday with another Oklahoma high school coach and Enid High School head coach, Brad Gore. So, for bonus episode one, we're joined by Air Force assistant coach C.J. Gilman, South Mountain assistant coach Tyler Gillum, Wright State and SteelBases.com Matt Tellerico, ORU head coach Ryan Fulmer, and Oklahoma State's James Vallee. To start, here is C.J. Gilman on getting 1% better in BP every day, and we may even touch on Bunny. C.J., welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Well, you just got done giving a presentation overhitting for an hour. I could have listened to you for probably six or seven hours, <laughs> but I hope you're you still got something left for us in the tank. And and I just I really want to say thank you for coming on. Yep. Um. I you know I appreciate the Oklahoma Baseball Coaches Association for having me. Number one, I had a blast doing it. It went by in a hurry, and uh, you literally like Superman saved the day uh, by clicking the video yeah. to get it to work. We couldn't get the video to work for everybody that wasn't here, but. Uh, Jonathan got it working halfway through. Well, I appreciate that. If that's uh, if that's the best thing that I do all weekend, I'll be pretty happy with <laughs> yeah. that. But but anyway, so you you basically just talked hitting and how you guys do it in a team setting, and and that's where most of us are. We're we've got twenty guys or more. Yeah, I think I'm like thirty five right now. So I'm I'm up back there taking notes on how to do things more efficient, how to get max reps, but also uh, be intentional with everything that we're doing. Let's just talk about what you guys. Uh, do for BP, which is pretty unique. You guys are very into variable training. And so, yep. just talk us through that a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So, I mentioned in there that individualizing for hitters is like, that's just the door fee now. Like, that doesn't make you good. That doesn't make you, you know, exceptional. And so, you know, you got to be able to, you're not going to be able to just like, like individualize for every kid every day. So, how can you group them into some subsets? And then how can you change variables throughout practice to challenge different guys? But more importantly, you know, challenging guys is important, but dialing it back a little bit and, and making sure that we dangle the carrot in front of the in front of the player and not, you know, a mile in front of them to I don't want to say give him hope, but you know, have him understand that like if we ask our guys to get better, one percent better every day. Let's provide an environment for them to get 1% better. You know, I can't, I don't want the kid to have to get 80% better in a day. It's not doable. Um, so anyway, so that's what we try to do with our practice. And then I would say the other staple of it is just like mass improvement. Like how, and I don't think we have it nailed down. I think, you know, we do a good job with it, but I don't think we have it perfect yet. And so how do we have the hitter that's working getting better and then... How can we have as many other people getting better without it just being a gong show? Like, I don't need everybody doing something. Baseball's cool in that way that there's downtime. 
Like mm-hmm. downtime is part of the game. And that's what makes hitters, that's what makes baseball players good is like, what are you doing in those 15 seconds between pitches type of thing? And how are we making that, how are we making practice look like that? That's, right. you know, a big deal, a big deal for us. And so I would say like our BP setting typically looks like if the weather's good, yeah. um, which is a whole nother story, right? You could give a whole nother hour long presentation on that. But if the weather's good, we're going to have, somebody on the field, a group on the field. And this is assuming we're not in our individual time, you know, in the year where we're limited on time, but we're going to have a group on the field hitting probably if it's a practice day, probably below breaking ball, angle hitting, um, a combination of all of them. We're going to have somebody on the field doing that. We're going to make sure that our defenders are hopefully in the right groups to be getting reads off of those pitches, or I mean, sorry, off of those swings, right? Like I want my second baseman and first baseman, you know, kind of like what um, Kai was talking about, you know, like those are details that need to be thought about. They're not just accidental, right? Right. And so they're, you know, there's intention to what we're doing. So anyway, putting the right defenders out there at the right time, that's sort of off topic, but... I love that. Yeah. So when our guys are hitting on the field, then... What's going on in the cages or, you know, what's going on in the outfield or, you know, whatever it is. So, for us, we have a group on the field and then there's always a group in the cages. And I'm trying to push our guys more towards like and understand there's not time for everything, right? So, there's not necessarily time. Like we harp on our outfielders to get as many live reps as they can. You know, the whole um, uh, the left fielder for the Royals. Um, Alex Gordon. Alex Gordon. Yeah, the whole Alex Gordon thing where it's like, you know, you should be dirty and sweaty after BP. So, like, if we're encouraging that for two groups and there's only four groups and, right. you know, the third one they're hitting on the field, like, yeah. you know, so there's a balance to it. But hopefully, um, there's somebody getting cage work in. But hopefully, when you walk in there, you've created the culture to where, like, they have the machine on and they're, you know, they have the hit tracks on or whatever it might be. Like, they're not hitting T T's and flips. They're hitting... 70 mile an hour fastballs or 90 mile an hour fastballs. It's not, I think we come off, I think I probably come off as like velo, 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 stuff, 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 breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball, slider, slider, slider. It's because that's what gets forgotten. So we feel like we need to emphasize that. That's not mm-hmm. all that our guys will do, but just like how many different looks can I create that are usable? Sure. They're beneficial. They're things that happen in a game. It's the same way where like when we have team defense, we don't work on, the first and third where the guy runs and fake trips and rolls over and they, you know, we work on that one time. Like, hey guys, this like, this play might happen one time, you mm-hmm. know, type of thing. We don't, we don't spend 10 minutes on it. So, I think in the same way, and I think that's a concept that people understand for defense, but like, let's apply it to offense. Sure. So, like, what happens in a game, let's practice it in practice. Well, there's a, there's a lot of directions that I'd, that I'd love to go here, but I think that the first thing that people need to understand is, is if we're creating the culture that, that you're talking about, that we've gone from one hitting coach to 20. Yeah. And if you're putting the groups into, into people that, that swing like they do, like most, most people do, and, I, and I'm, maybe you can share with us about that process too, but, but so we, we put all, all, like two older guys and two younger guys. So the older guys know what's going on. It yeah. kind of, we don't have to explain everything uh, a ton, but if they don't understand what's going on, then that's my fault. Correct. But we go from, you know, having me running around like a crazy man trying to help everyone to, hey, your groups are going to help you better. And something that they might say is going to hit home a whole lot more than something that I'm always saying. Yep. I don't know if you've noticed that too. 100%. I think especially with, 
with anything. Like player-to-player communication is so much more effective than coach-to-player. Yes. Right? You would hope to be relatable and impactful in the kid's life, and you probably will be. But if we're being totally honest with ourselves, they're going to they're gonna feel that impact like eight years from now. You know, mm-hmm. they'll look back and have different coaches and bosses and people that they're like, huh, you know, if you did a good job, hopefully they think like, oh, man, like these guys, you know, I wish more of my bosses were like my high school baseball coach right. type of thing. So, the impact of player to player is 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 way bigger. Now, you know, not every player um, maybe has the depth of knowledge that you have or the sure. experience in seeing all kinds of different swings or whatever it might be. But I think a lot of times we give players not enough credit. If players want to go off on their own and do whatever they want to do, mm-hmm. like I'm very flexible. I can think of yesterday. We were practicing yesterday. And um, one of our players, very good hitter, um, had a really good year last year and just really struggling in practice. And the thought in my mind is like, what'd you do over break type of thing? You can't say that out loud. You know that that's dropping poison in a bucket. And and it's probably not even true. He's probably having a tough day. Mm -hmm. But it's like, he's like, I'm going to do this, whatever it might be. And it's like something that I would never say and like try to encourage a kid to do. But it's like. Dude, if that works, that's a real thing. Like, it's not smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Like, belief is a is a massively powerful tool. So, the idea as a coach being like, get your players to buy in, get your players to coach players. I think that's massively important. And getting players to to adopt your beliefs as um, their own ideas. Like, let them come to those conclusions and hopefully you, you know, guardrail, you know, bumpers in a bowling alley, get them kind of down the lane. Sure. But absolutely. I mean, and then in, in terms of putting hitters together that can help each other, I think it goes a really long way. You know, what we were talking about in there with failing in practice because it's difficult, mm-hmm. overcoming that failure and su- then succeeding in practice. Like, mm-hmm. that's what you step into the box in the game with real confidence. Like, sure. That is what it is. I mean, everybody, I feel like if you're 30 years old or anywhere above or near that age, like, you know exactly what a week long of 40 mile an hour BP feels like. Yeah. You know exactly what that looks like. And um, and then you step into the game and it's like, oh, uh, Michael Walker just threw it 92 miles an hour right on the black like five different times. Like, what am I supposed to do with mm-hmm. this? Right. So, everybody knows that feeling. And it's like for it's like for a long time we just tried to act like it wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's like these are not the same. You know, you're sure. asking me to do air squats and then go squat 600 pounds. You're asking me right. to go through the footwork and cone drills of being a cornerback and go cover Michael Crabtree. Like sure. this isn't how this works. Right. You know, so that's where it helps in terms of difficult practice, failure, doing it, having success. It's very comforting sometimes for a player that's not having success Mm -hmm. to see somebody smashing baseballs and then you can relate it back to him like, hey man, he was you three years ago. This Mm -hmm. isn't that, this isn't imaginary. This isn't an unachievable place for you. This is it's right. just where you're headed. Definitely. Play good defense along the way and you'll get some A-Bs. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you also mentioned this in your presentation that it's not easy to start that. Sure. And, and yeah. once you stop throwing 40-40-40 BP, they, there's some pushback because it doesn't feel good. Yes. But I, I think, and and since I've been at Union this year, I think the biggest thing was just explaining, hey guys, just what you did. This is what we're going to see in a game. Yep. If we can master this, then every single time that we go to an at-bat, we've seen it. 
We've seen it before. Yeah. And so, uh, you're talking about variable training. Well, yesterday, we've been velo, 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 curveball machine. Well, yesterday, we went soft lefty. Yeah. Soft lefty ate our lunch. It was 68. Yeah. From just a little bit from the left side, and yeah. it was three plates. So, yes. 68 from the, from the very first plate was maybe like 75. Once they got back to the last plate, couldn't hit it. Man, so, it, was, it was tough. Same thing happened for us on day one. Um, our machine blew out. I don't okay. know what happened. The motor, the bottom motor went out. So, we went to go get like an older machine that we have, but it doesn't really, it just sucks. Like, it's just not <laughs> yeah. as good as the other one. Sure. And uh, so, the velo was just like boring. It, it Like, the, the bottom wheel can't keep up enough to put some carry on the baseball. So, it was like sinkers, cutters, you know, all this bad stuff that we didn't want. So, we adjusted on the fly, just like we talked about, like have a plan um, and you don't need the bottom wheel to throw breaking balls, right? Because the bottom wheel only spins at, you know, three when the top, you know, wheels are at 10 and seven, whatever, on any three-wheel machine. So, we threw them in there and it was the same thing. We we just got our turf redone on the, um, on the catcher circle. So, we had the turtle in front of the plate, okay. you know, way in front of the plate. So, we're basically hitting from where you would like drop a bunt down and then we put the mound, we put the tall legs behind the mound. So, because we couldn't put it on the mound, right? Because to create any sort of normal distance. So, if we put it on top of the mound, it was going to be like 40 feet, just right. too short. Sure. And if we put it on the back side of the mound, it was going to be shooting it over the press box, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. angled up. Sure. So, we put it all the way on the back and it was really slow because the machine's not good. And it was the normal distance, i.e. that soft lefty that gets you. We mm-hmm. have a soft righty in our conference that nice. just dominates people and you're like, it's like oh, here we go. Like here's the here's the argument on Twitter for the next eighty years. Yeah. Like this one guy, it's like we're trying to hit those, and our guys are not doing it. And I, you know, we have some good hitters, some guys that are supposed to hit this year that we're getting crushed by it. And right. so it's a big deal, man. It's a big deal to to be different every day or to stay on something that you struggled at and do it a day after. But it's got to be something that they're going to see. Right? Otherwise, the buy-in's out the window. So, like you were talking about, it's tough to get guys to buy into it. You better plan it. Like, you better do your due diligence and plan it. You can't just be like, hey, we're going to randomly go, you know, do this thing that, you know, whatever, hope it and hope they buy in. It's not going to happen. You have to talk about it short, you know, relate it to how it's going to help them in a game and then do it and, you know, the art of coaching, push and pull a little bit, you know, make it harder, make it easier. Definitely. And I, I think just we've got to get better. We've got to get that one to three percent a little bit harder every single day. That that's going to push them because it's not it's not just beating them over the head with it. Sure, like it's not like them literally. I did that, by the way, my first year. Like we just did that. Like yeah. it was just like, hey, you're going to swing and miss for a week. Cool. <laughs> I don't Figure think. It out, yeah, right? I don't I think it was the best way. No, I think it was better than the other way than just you know falsely giving them hope that they're going to be able to hit after hitting BP, but like. I could think of a kid. He's one of my favorite players ever. He's just like, he swung and missed for a week, <laughs> like a whole week. Yeah, <laughs> so, man. there's definitely a better way to do it. Right. Especially because if that if their offense, you know, bleeds into their psyche and their defense, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, there's a lot of different variables, you know, and, and things that are happening. But it's dangling the carrot in front of them, I believe, is hugely important. And so, a couple things, a couple of my takeaways and. And then I've I've got I've got a, another question to ask you, but uh, you talked about having your position players throw BP. Oh yeah, and to try and get the guys out. Oh yeah, love that. And then you're also talking about using machines a ton in practice. Well, that's allowed me as a coach who 
most of our listeners don't have a ton of them. You yep. don't either. Yep. Uh, to walk around and actually talk with the guys and yep. help rather than if I'm throwing BP every single day, it doesn't allow me to do that. Correct. And so, and so that's been an added benefit of, hey, somebody in your group, you're just feeding the machine or you're going to, you know, front toss. And, and that's helped a ton. But I want to know, because this is something that, that I struggle with a little bit, um, especially in the preseason. So if you could go through your BP, uh, how many swings do you guys get every day just in your regular practice? Because I, I'm like, we should go in the cage. We're going to break it up. We're going to get a ton of swings. But yeah. the kids are like, I want to see it, see ball flight. Yeah. But it's slower. So I'm trying to figure out which of those to do more of. Maybe it's a mix of both. And, I, and I'm sure it's always somewhere in between. But yeah. Uh, but to get, you know, you've got, you get 100 swings versus 30 with, with BP and then live defense and all of those. So, so walk yeah. us through your process there. Okay. So how many groups do you guys have typically? It depends. It it's depends. Five we, or six, maybe. Yeah, it, at least six. Now, um, oh, it's at about, least six. Okay. It, well, at least five or six. So, okay. So five minimum. I think it. Yeah, five minimum, uh, and that's about four to five kids per group. Yeah. Um, and it depends on 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 the day, obviously. Sure. But here's so here's my been my BP stations lately. We've got your uh, and we've just been inside because obviously. Yeah, the weather out here—it's <laughs> yeah. pouring and raining. Yeah, but it was yesterday. We did radar front toss, and then we did a front toss mix with the kids. They—they have a tough time throwing curveball, so just front toss, and then they'll—they'll they'll mix one in like soft a really toss. soft toss. One. Yeah. Then we'll do—we did the chaos vision drill that I was telling you about. Yep. T work. We'll get on on the machine and then do dry work. Well, that's a lot of reps. Sure. A lot of swings. Yeah. But at the same time, kids are like, "Man, I I want to get out and I want to wake and rake and just freaking get out on the it, field, right?" Yeah, uh, and then that allows you to play live defense. So just kind of walk me through what you guys do. I I'd like I love to hear that. Yeah. So I would say first off, like take inventory of what you've got, mm -hmm. right? So um, obviously we have a lot of machines that are available to us. So a big deal for us is like on a day, maybe maybe our volunteer Jimmy Racinger throws like the most money BP. If you watch the home run derby in the summer, oh, okay. yeah. So he was cool. throwing BP yeah. to him. So like I mean he can do anything with with a ball and bp and so it allows us a lot of freedom and so like i i understand that not everybody maybe has that luxury i mean if it were just me so we have obviously me and jimmy w working with the hitters and if it were just me like if i'm throwing if i throw all day i'm not throwing the next day yeah, right. like yeah, i just exactly. i'm not it's right. not gonna happen so you know take inventory of what you've got now if you've got one guy that can um, really control a baseball and throw BP and kind of do whatever he want, wants with it. Find a strike zone, set up a strike zone somehow. Those nine pocket nets, I think, are great, but it doesn't have to be that, right? And I don't waste that guy, the guy that can really do something in BP. Like, make sure he is, because here's what I ran into last year and years past. Like, I've always thought that, you know, obviously I'm biased with our hitters, but like, I feel like we are in like very good hitters. To what we know is coming, mm -hmm. like a machine. Sure. So, like 80, 90, 95. Like, mm -hmm. I think we're in the upper category, upper echelon of that category of ability to do it. And, but what we would do in a game is swing at everything. I mean, That's everything. Mm -hmm. And so, double edged sword a little bit with it. So, where I think the guy that can really throw BP, if you have that available to you, is the competition aspect of it. Mm -hmm. The Yes, yes, no. Swing, swing, take. Fastball, breaking ball. Um, the, all the great drills. Like I think you've even talked about them before where it's like 
five pitches in a round, one of them's a breaking ball. Like, there is no better way, at least in my opinion yet, other than in-game reps, there's no better way to teach a kid how to hit 3-0, because it's a skill, how to not get too big, how to swing at the right pitches. There's no better way to do it, I don't think, than a drill where you get five pitches and one can be a breaking ball. I love that. And because it teaches, especially if you get that breaking ball in the second pitch, like you better hammer those next three pitches or it's embarrassing. Like, how are you not on time for this fastball? Mm -hmm. That type of thing. So if you have a guy like, you know, like we've got Jimmy that can do that, use that. Use that as much as you possibly can. And even to the point of like, maybe, I mean, he can throw every day, but if he couldn't, right, it cut down his load by having him really, really compete with your guys that are going to be on the field that year, with the guys that are going to matter that year, um, because that's only going to be nine to 12 guys or, sure. you know, whatever it would be. And if you're a high school, right, like we want your var- your JV to be good, but like it's not as important as the varsity being good. I mean, right. let's just be honest. We got to make decisions. So like cut down his workload to where he's competing every single day, not every single day, as much as you possibly can with those guys. So in saying that, right, I would have something going on in the field. That's a great thing you can do in a cage. Right? You don't have to, like, you, wanna, you, want, you want your guys to want to hit off the machine on the field and, like, see their success, sure. right? So, if you're trying to create buy-in with your guys, start with the easier ones, right? Go outside and hang breaking balls on the field and have them mash. And it's like, cool, hitting off the machine is cool, this you know? Nice. Don't go day one, 92, like, all, easy to pick up all the balls because they're all in the turtle at the right, end of the yeah, day. Yeah. So. Great way to create buying. So, to get back to your original question, for BP, keep your thumb on the pulse of your team as far as how many swings they're taking. I've never, now we're limited by time in college and I think probably in high school too, like I've never left thinking like, God, our guy swung way too much. The only time that happens is when we have an all indoors day and they have like three cages going and... They're hitting for 50, you know, 45 minutes of hitting off of a machine might get a little tiresome type of deal. But like, so keep a gauge on it and try to, if you can create a competition with a BP thrower, a breaking ball and a fastball, that's a a great day. Especially drills where like takes are good reps. Mm -hmm. So like, I I pick that up, you know, so if it's like, oh, oh, good take, like one, tell them. But two, like that's a positive rep. So if you're doing a five pitch round, that counts. Make sure it counts, and so that they know it. And so we're lessening, you know, we're lightening their workload without them even really paying attention to it. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. That's something that that I just took from you just a minute ago. You you are uh, really getting what you want because half of our time the guy is standing in the box and he takes he doesn't move his hands at all and he's like, like yeah. Hey. And so the junior uh, take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the uh, I'm not going to move my hands, but I'm going to yeah. try and keep up. But I, I really like that a lot. And and so something that that I've also been struggling with a little bit is so we we, we love to mash baseballs. Yep. Right. We love it. like that's part of our culture. We want to hit the ball hard. Yep. And we want to hit it in the gaps. And like so, that culture. And, and so mostly, yeah, yeah. And so, but I've really been struggling with. Okay, so we're in the seventh. We got runners at first and second, and yeah. we've got to get a bunt down. Yes. Like it's our, it's maybe our maybe our one hole or two hole, like one of our better hitters, but we've got to get it get a get them moved over to win the game. Yes. So we've got to practice it. Yes. But what is the relation of practice of that while not taking away from mashing baseballs? Yes. That's something else I've been struggling with. Yes. I don't know I don't know that there's that we've perfected it for sure. I know what we do is we take our guys 
that are most likely to bunt. Like we do have a guy in our lineup that I will not. We, I, I truly believe that we, it's not a pride thing. I truly believe our chances for success are better if he's swinging than if he's bunting type mm-hmm. of deal. Um, I think if the guy's on first, he's in scoring position for this guy. And it's mm-hmm. probably, we probably have two or three of them. You yeah. know, I think someday, you know, I don't know if numbers can clearly define it yet. Um, I think there's a little too many variables like who's hitting and what's the situation and who's pitching and all these different things. But like, Bunt is something we try to do in early work. Yeah. I don't think it's effective in um in like hand thrown BP. I don't think it's an effective deal. I I, yeah, I and so but I do think where it is really effective is if you can make him go the first pitch of a round. Now, it's great because it allows them to time. You know, one, they're getting on time. And two, they're working on their bunt skill. But and maybe it's just me, but like Every time they do it, I'm like, God, it feels like we could have had two swings at that time, you know? And so, one, like, probably properly dialing your brain into, like, no, this is something we have to do, number one. And number two, um, like, if you can just do it at a different time, like, early work, I think, is a great time for it, if you can get your guys out there. But, and hopefully, there's six guys in your lineup that might be bunt guys, and, like, it's it's doable to get six guys to early work. Um, I think bunting is best done in mass quantities you know and i whereas that i don't know that that's the best way to acquire a skill maybe identify who your better bunners are you know one of our kids you know must have bunted his whole life because like he bunted a ton his freshman year yeah he was an unbelievable catcher unbelievable defender and it was like dude you're gonna hit in the nine hole if there's anybody on base i don't care if there's zero or one outs like your job if there's one out, your job's to get him to second. So if our leadoff guy singles, like yeah. we're getting him in. I mean, that's just how it is because all he wanted to do, like he's slow, you know. So if he rolls over, it's a double play. If he strikes out, it's no good, you know. So certainly it, that happens, you know. And I think categorizing guys' talents and and doing that, but where I think is the gets missed the most is the drag bunt. Oh, I love drag, bunt. especially if you're known as a team that hammers baseballs. Especially if you play on turf or places where it's easy for guys to shift and shade. Like, if you can't drag bunt, you've got a big hole in your game. And yeah. it bothers me when our guys can't do it. Right. Then I have to step back and be like, did we work on it? Right. Did I ask them to do it? Did I force them to do it? Whatever it might be. Like, nothing is more exciting to me than when I'm recruiting a kid. If he can play defense and he hits a home run and drag bunts for a hit in the same awesome. game. I think any – I'd be like – uh, you know, boom. Do I need a shortstop? Oh, yeah, let's go. Do I need a first baseman? No, whatever. I still want that kid. Yeah. Like, that's a guy you want. And so, it's like you have to make time for you it. You can't defend that guy. That's true. Well, that's true too. But like, if you want to be a good bunner, you better make time for it. Right. So, and that's hard. It really is hard. Like, hard. It's a struggle for me. I'm like, we have to do this because we're going to do it. And it, I, like you said, it's, it's, I'm ex- the exact same way. And so, uh, Coach Newkirk, who you met earlier. Yep. Uh, so we've started a, a circuit at the beginning of practice because we've got three teams and we've got twenty uh, about twenty guys per team. Okay. And so what we'll do is we'll, we've broken them up into four groups and they're at about they're about fifteen guys a group. And so he's got like one station is base running, so we're knocking it out base running, and he's got his hands on those guys. Yep. And then we've got our arm care station, and so they go to arm care station, they get all their plow ball work done. <laughs> Then we've got a we've got a bunting station, and then we've got another station that does uh, just whatever else we feel like we need to. If we need to go over team defense stuff, we'll talk to them there, sure. or whatever. Or Andy D, 
But in our bunting station, we've got a machine on close to the mound and then one behind the turtle. And so, yeah. and so they're just rolling around. Yeah. But that's not taking it away from their swings and BP, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. And then the other, the other, so that's just something that I've stumbled upon and you're talking about early work, which is similar. Yeah. Uh, and then after eight minutes, we rotate, they get, give them, you know, a minute to get there and a minute to explain what's going on or, or whatever. Yeah. And then the other one, and you hit on this too, is the first pitch to get it down. Yeah. And now I've started to do, if you don't get it down, you have to wait till you get it down to swing. Yeah. And so that's going, oh, shoot. Okay. Because what, what happened to me as a player, I love to drag bunt, but I'm going, okay, let me just, all right. And then I'm, whether or not I got it down or not, I'm still swinging. That yes. I'm ready to rake. Yeah. So, it's just something of that carrot that you're dangling in front. Hey, if you want to swing, if you want to take a bunch of swings, here you go. Yes. I, mean, that's, I, I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but that's just two things that, that I've stumbled upon lately that, that I've been throwing out for our guys. It's like, if the game's on the line and you have to do it, it's important. Yep. But for most of the year, you know, when does that happen? Three or four percent of the time that, that we really need to move the guys over to yeah. win a game? I yep. Mean, well, but, but it's and, important. Yeah. And I, there's like a very fine line to walk of, I mean, I'm telling you, like, if we're, if we're bunning in our offense, like if we're bunning, everybody knows. Yeah. Like your neighbor that just came to his first baseball game knows and it's going down. Sack bunning, sack bunning yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. Not drag bunning. Sure. Yeah. Only sack bunning. And so, especially at our field, like I don't know that it's, I don't know if it's better to bunt. Like yeah. I just, and so for us, it's like practice it as much as it happens in a game. Mm-hmm. So, you know where it's going to happen? San Diego. Yeah. Night game. Like if you can hit a ball out of their place at night, you're a grown man. And so, everything that goes in the gaps hangs up and guys catch it. San Jose, you know, places that that play like that, UNLV if the wind's blowing in type of deal. So, it's just like, yeah, you got to balance if it's important. I think, I don't know. I don't want to say don't get mad at the kid for not getting his bunt down because like, dude, get your bunt down, <laughs> you know. I think especially for coaches, I would imagine most coaches probably were decent bunners because... You just paid attention. And that's why we're coaches now, because we couldn't hit. I agree. That's exactly <laughs> right. And that's the point is that like a lot of bunning is probably just like attention to detail with it. So maybe it's not a practicing bunning thing. Maybe it's a creating something where kids are gonna pay attention thing. You know, I, I don't know that there's a perfect answer for it, but I do know that if you can create the drag bunt as a tool and guys think it's cool to be able to do it along with bang, like if you're a better drag bunner, you're going to be a better sack bunner. The principles are yeah, similar, no, you know? So, just like make it a deal where people want to do it. It's the same way when you're trying to buy in or create buy-in for hitting off of a machine. Have them, you know, when they get better, they're going to want to do it more. Our guys love hitting off the machine. They go and set it up in the middle of the summer on their own now. And so, do that. Find a way to do that with your drag bunning. I think that's where, like... You don't get credit for just like telling people to do things. That's not coaching. That's not leadership. That's telling, that's being a dictator. Right. That doesn't work. Right. You know? Absolutely. Well, CJ, I appreciate your time, man. And, and it's, it's funny that probably a third of our time we talked about bunting, which is crazy, <laughs> crazy to think that. But it's just been something like I know you're in the team setting and I am too. And, yeah. and we have similar philosophies offensively where we, where we want to, we want to crush baseballs. But yeah. that's something that I've struggled with lately. But absolutely. But anyways, well, I appreciate you having you on. And is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? I don't think so, man. I, well, I touched on it in there. Like just as a whole, 
as a as a coaching community, like we got to just like quit trying to figure out who's right and right. just try to figure out what is right, you know, and what's best because there's a lot of energy, you know, in, just in coaching in general used on like you got to check your ego type of deal, you know, otherwise you won't you won't get that buy-in from your players and I think if like it's our job as coaches to like start cultivating that you know, that culture so that like we can move forward and be better. You know, we want to be better. Yeah, we want. Yeah. And I mean, I guess you want your team to be better and other teams to be worse, but it's kind of like, you know, high seas raise all boats. So it's just like, you know, let's get everybody better and, and, and kind of progress what we're doing. Definitely. I love it. Well, CJ, thanks again. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Let me take a few seconds to tell you guys about on base you. On Base University is an organization that studies how the human body moves in baseball and softball. They offer certification seminars that teach coaches, trainers, and medical professionals how to assess an athlete's physical ability to perform movement patterns that are specific to hitting and pitching. For example, they just put up a blog post on their website, onbaseu.com, that discussed why hip internal rotation is important in hitting and how they evaluate it with their On Base U screen. If you want to learn more about OnBaseU, I did a podcast with the OnBaseU founder, Dr. Greg Rose, episode 78, and he talked about how he modeled the screen after golf assessments that he created for TPI. They are hosting pitching and hitting seminars in Phoenix, Newark, and Houston over the next few months. I will be attending one soon, and I hope to see you there. Here's Tyler Gillum on the Growth Toolbox, infield play, and a little bit of Green Light Special. Tyler, welcome to the show. What's up, brother? Glad to be here. We're not shoveling sunshine today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, We are learning to swim out here. It is um, definitely underwater. If it was doing this in Arizona, then uh, schools would probably be canceled. Everybody would be freaking out. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. Well, you're not a stranger to this growing up in Oklahoma. So, how's it feel to be back? Uh, It's great to be back seeing uh, a bunch of buddies um, coming up here to ORU's campus is awesome. Great turnout here for the high school coaches. Um, awesome speakers so far. CJ killed it this morning. Um, Wes is finishing up right now on stage, and he's doing a really good job. But seeing some old coaches and seeing some old friends and uh, catching up a little bit, so it's been really good. I've actually gotten to hear some stories about you as oh, a high school really? kid. Really? It's been really good, so we'll just go uh, ahead and keep those off the mic. Hope those were all right. Hope those were all right. <laughs> but, man, I just – so tell us about your new venture. I guess it's a new – it's an old venture – but a new name, and that's the the Growth Toolbox. So talk to us yeah, a little sure. bit about that. Uh, the Growth Toolbox. So it originated somewhere around 2015. Um, we just took a look at our program and said, how can we take the next step? Um, I spoke at the National Convention 2016 mm-hmm. um, on it, and then we've been doing it for three years now. So it's been unbelievable for us. Um, three, four, three, five team GPA every year. Um, last year, we had the best winning percentage we've ever had in conference. We were 30 and six overall and won the conference. Um, we, uh, I mean, just team leadership skills, time management skills. And, uh, I think we had like 10 or 11, 12 D one guys last year. And right now we have 11 D one commits for next year. So we've got a good sophomore class and, um, it's been huge for us moving forward, developing life skills and developing skill accusation on field. So it's been fun. Yeah, no, no doubt. And you're, you're always talking about, we've got to build a, build a man first and build a better, better baseball player after that. And, and so I loved how you broke it down week to week 
And I, to be honest with you, I don't know if you're going to try and sell it in the future, but can you give us maybe one of those weeks that where you're talking about so you have like a, a main topic and can you just kind of share with how, how you go about teaching the main topic? Yeah. Um, so really everybody always asks for a curriculum. Like, Hey, do you have the curriculum? And I really don't have a bunch of topics. Sure. And I think it works best because it depends on your program. Every program has different obstacles and problems and, um, every week is different. So, you know, if we're doing, you know, the week on perspective or visualization or imagery or meditation or something like that, it might not make sense that week if you're following a, following a curriculum. But, sure. you know, so what I basically try to do each week is I have a bunch of topics. I've been doing it for three years now. I just try to steal from some of the best motivational speakers, coaches, business people in the world, people that are highly successful and see, you know, if we can put together some common denominators and see mm-hmm. if that can help our guys moving forward. And it has. But the best way to do it is to assess your program of what's going on in that moment, in that week, mm-hmm. and figure out what's the best for us right now. Because you know what? Visualization and imagery might not be the best thing right now. Yeah. You know, maybe nutrition. Maybe we need to break down a nutritional plan, talk about meal prepping, talk about your macros and micros, um, and so on and so forth. But like, you know, I think some of the biggest the biggest weeks or topics is like the goal setting exercise starting there. I think that that gets us going in the right direction, creates some common goals, creates some common values, and really gets us on a path of where we need to go. And not just as a team, but also as individuals and as players. And, um, you know, moving on from that, okay, we figure out where we need to go. Let's figure out how we're going to get there. and Let's figure out our daily routines and habits that are going to match that in order to get to that telescope goal. And, you know, there's a lot of other things involved, but that goal setting exercise and that team, that uh, that time management is uh, two big ones for sure. Uh, definitely. I wish, you know, you're, you're sitting here talking about nutrition and especially time management. I'll be honest with you, looking back, I wish I'd have had something like that going into college because I was not prepared at all. Yeah, I mean, we're still trying to probably figure it out right, right now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I don't think we ever stopped doing this, you know, so like, when I'm teaching this course, we have this, you know, this team get together, basically, like we're sitting around the campfire and we're all learning from each other. I like to get our players up and teach, too. But, you know, this isn't just for like me setting up and, and lecturing to them. It's like what I'm learning in the moment. And I'm, hey, I'm going to share some things with these guys, because if I'm getting better at 32 by listening to whatever I'm li- podcast I'm listening to or mm-hmm. book I'm reading, if, if I'm learning something, then I know I can teach them something. So. Um, you know, it's not just for them. It's also for me. And, you know, I put out a tweet the other day that, you know, whoever, whoever does the most work, they learn the most, you know, whoever puts in the most time to teach it is the one learning, you know, so I try to get them up learning too, as well, and give them some resources as books or podcasts too as well. So that time management piece, I, you know, we're always trying to get better at it. You know, I used to think that I was pretty good at it. Then we had a baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. so I had to reevaluate oh, yeah. how good at time management I actually was. And, and <laughs> that's something, uh, something that, uh, definitely threw me a curveball. Absolutely. So There's a lot of, uh, planning and then adversity and then mm-hmm. responding to, uh, what you're going to do next. Yeah. That was the event. Yeah. Now I'm working on my response. <laughs> yep. Like you see how that outcome really, comes, yeah. comes along. You know, you never know when you got to change that diaper every man, once in a while or, and you'll get into that soon. Oh, enough, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. But so tomorrow, 
you're going to be talking about base running. And I, I spoke with Jay Guy about this uh, last weekend. Actually, I'm talking about infield play tomorrow. Oh, that's right. That's but right. we can talk base running, of course. Let's too, do both. Because I love the green light special. I yeah, love green, infield play. Green, yeah, I could have sworn you were doing green light special, but let's talk about that anyways. So, green light special. So, Tyler, um, say I'm not a good base running coach. Yep. Probably not. Yep. Uh, how do we get our guys to to be better base runners besides just, okay, let's let's go over it every day, but uh, how do we prepare them for game situations where they're, they are confident enough to be smartly aggressive? Like, sure. how, how do we get that? Because you did it last summer with guys who you didn't have all year long. Absolutely. And so I'm sure that was a, a learning period too, but how did you, how did you give them enough uh, a trust into them as to where because you guys stole a thousand like a thousand bags last summer or something crazy. We had we had a good group of guys, so um, we ended up having one fifty six on the summer. Um, I think that was in 52, 52 games. Um, we had one player that had thirty seven um, wow. thirty seven stolen bases. He probably played in like forty games or something, maybe less than that. Wow! Um, but just really instinctual, really good player, fast guy. You know, so part of us is just. Part of it's recruiting. Okay, you got to go find those right guys, and we do try to find those right guys that um, they can run a little bit, but they can also run a ball in the gap, and they can play multiple positions. So it's tough to find that type of guy, but uh, that's yeah, almost look. like, hey, that's the guy that's getting drafted. Yeah. So um, like we don't have too many guys. Like yeah. That so it, it is definitely unique, but we do try to find guys that can run and maybe have one or two other qualities. I, so we, the recruiting part starts it. But being transparent and being really like the first three days, we had three days to talk in Savannah before our first game. And we had three small practices, like two hour practices. Um, And we're trying to put in some small things. You don't want to throw in a bunch of stuff in the summer. So my biggest thing is this. You got to talk about it and you got to set the environment. If you set the environment mindset wise, like, the name Green Light Special. Like, hey, you guys are getting freedom. Okay. These are some things that we're going to talk that's about. That's cool. Like, that's cool. Yeah. Hey, man, we got a Green Light Special. Yeah. No. Yeah. Cool. So they buy into that. And if it's a guy that already runs, like, he already comes to us and he has, he had 15, 20 stolen bases at school, like, oh, you mean I can go anytime I want? Yes. If it's there, if the window is open, it makes sense. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to stay on the attack. Our goal is to put pressure, as much pressure on the defense as possible, make those guys play catch and, you know, pressure burst pipes a lot of times. So, um, so you have to create that. And when they get thrown out or they mess up, you also, you just got to pat them on the butt and go, Hey, you know, what did you do wrong here? Or, uh, you know, what does this look like? You know, and let's talk through it a little bit versus guys, you know, you get thrown out. Let's say, let's say guy on second base, um, runner on second base and you're going to still third and it's two outs and he gets thrown out. You can lose your mind right there in front of 4,500 people and be like, what are you doing? And that guy's never going to run again. So you're putting up a a barrier for him going forward because mentally he's like, man, coach is going to take me out of the game. So for me, I'm like, hey, stay aggressive. Guess what? Next time you get on second base, just know you got to have a better jump next time you go. A a good lead, good jump. You know, So that's something we talk about. And then really for the summer, we're playing every day. Right. So you try to take some videos. All of our all of our games are um, taped, so they're online. So you can go over and review some stuff. That didn't happen too much, but it 
it's a in our environment it's constantly talked about green light green light this is what you're looking for this is what this guy does this is his tendency and everybody starts talking about it so like we go into the game like all right who's gonna get five bags yeah you know so it's really more than anything the environment that you create and the mindset that you create and then it kind of builds from there i love that and and so so we've got a bunch of guys who probably haven't been taught something similar may not be the athletes that you've got either so say we're speaking a typical high school coach who has some guys who can do this and and yada yada but so how would you go about just you know teaching maybe the younger guys because you work with some younger guys at a bunch of different camps and stuff like that How how do you go about teaching aggressiveness to them or maybe some keys to look for because i think that's the main thing it's like okay i can be aggressive but Coach, tell me what I'm tell me what I'm trying to look for here, and sure. tell me what I'm trying to see. Sure. I think more than anything is you got to work on it every day. Um, we were talking about it before we uh, started the podcast. Um, Coach with Josh Garcia, and he really brought the day to day, doing it every single day, ten minutes to fifteen minutes, and scheduling it out. So, like, just fits one piece in every day. So you build off that over time. Like when you're twelve, you're not going to get some of that stuff, but like. If you're 12 and you know how to get a primary lead and a secondary lead, mm-hmm. that alone right there is going to be – like some guys come to us in college and they've never been taught primary lead or secondary lead. They mm-hmm. don't know how to get a secondary lead. They don't know, you know, so there's there's some of those that, that come. Some of it's just basic stuff but doing it every day. But what I always go back to, and if it's infield or if it's hitting or base running, the visual recognition that you get is the key to it all. That's why reps are massive. That's why I love, like, that's why I believe in the 10,000 hour rule. You seeing it, recognizing it, and locking that into your brain is going to give you that rep that you need of, let's just say, if you're a base runner at second base and you're trying to steal third and you're not very good at reading an inside move yet. Yeah. The more times that you see that, you start picking up tendencies like, oh, he slowed down in his motions, his leg didn't go as high, mm-hmm. his hands moved differently. Some of that's subconscious, so you don't even like recognize you don't even you can't even explain it. That's mm-hmm. why the majority of like good hitters, they can't explain why they're a good hitter. Yeah. Some of that okay. stuff is just subconscious. So doing it every day, seeing it, um, speaking it. Getting it visually for those players, I think, is just the big thing. Just reps, right? It pro- probably most, and including myself, don't do it enough. I mean, that, I think that's the biggest takeaway from talking to you and, yeah. and Jay Gaw and, yeah. and talking to, to Matt Tallarico, and, and it, the good ones do it every day. Yep. I mean, just like anything, we it's play catch every day. You do it every day, right? Absolutely. Bathing is important. You do it every day. Uh, hopefully, most people are. <laughs> Exactly. And so I'm actually using, uh, so I, it, your hockey drill, I, I think it was hockey drill. I can't, goalie or goalie drill. drill. Goalie yeah, drill. yeah. Yep. I'm actually yep. using that in my presentation tomorrow. Oh, so wow. I'm, so, Love it. uh, yeah. So Love just it. talking about helping kids to make decisions on what they're trying to do oh, in, no. in practice. That's awesome. and, and so let us know, you know, what, uh, what are a couple keys that you guys are doing for your infield stuff and just hit us with what you got. Yeah. So, um, you know, my passion's infield play. I was an infielder growing up, so just the little things. I think starting with prep stuff, you can go watch high school games and little league games, and I'll, you know, you might see like from a recruiting standpoint, I might see a shortstop get one ground ball during the game. There's 150 pitches that he has to play defensively, so what I watch is his body language. I watch his prep step. So his prep step is he on time? Is his ball are the balls of his feet hitting the ground while the ball's entering the strike zone? And 
can he stay locked in like that? So again, going back to the eyes and being visual, is he watching the hitter? Is he locked in? Is he in rhythm? Is he landing on at the right time? And if he is, then he can move. So if he's got that, we can build off of that. There's a lot of guys that I'll just mark off because they'll probably miss like 30, 40 prep steps in a game. And if you miss your prep step, you're, you're going to miss your first step. So we talk about that a lot, prep step issues, um, but the visual piece of it, of understanding where the ball's going to go and anticipating where the ball's going to go before it's actually hit, what the pitch is being called, how the hitter's body is moving. You know, you look at, you know, tennis players and they're receiving serves at 150 miles an hour and they're getting to a prep step and they're having to return the serve that's hit 150 miles an hour at them. So if they wait till the ball is hit, they're not going to hit that ball. Their body's not going to be moving in the proper way. So what they actually do in scientists, sports scientists have studied is where the eyes are actually located on the core and their rotation. And they, they start picking up earlier to anticipate where the ball's actually going, you know? So, um, I think the best infielders do that. You know, you'll see some of the best infielders start moving in the direction of where the ball's hit before it's even hit when you slow down video. Um, I think those guys are really unique. I think a big piece of that is to have your infielders do that in batting practice every single day. So they don't even have to fill the ground ball some days. Some days just be like, hey, you know what? You're going to try to get a prep step every single time over the three really rounds. Really so and making that adjustment and making that adjustment. It's not easy to do. The best one, the best infielders that I've coached, the best shortstops that I've coached, take live ground balls full speed every single day. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's the truest ground ball you can get. You know, then you're talking about your prep step, your first step, your angles. And then, you know, um, one thing I didn't talk about in the 10,000 hour rule today is like talking about true Troy Tulowitzki. You know, all of our guys, I want to play professional baseball mm -hmm. and, so watching what his daily routines and habits are in BP every single day. So my buddy is the bullpen catcher at, for the Blue Jays. So I got to get on field and watch them take BP and watch Troy Tulowitzki go through his infield routine three different games. And it was a year and a half. All of them were – all of these games were within like a year and a half. So different times of the year. But anyway, um, he takes 30 ground balls every – BP round. Okay, so, so it starts in 162 games. Wow. 30 ground balls, okay. and they're specific. It's not like I'm taking the same ground ball right at me every single time. It's not that. He starts infield in. He starts working back. Then he'll start turning double plays to his forehand, turn double plays to his backhand, and then his signature play where he makes the backhand, throws across his body into the six hole, that play, and everybody's like, dude. That's a web gym. He makes that play three times before every game. So if you take 162 games times three, he's made that game. That, that plays routine now. Mm -hmm. So I think that is the biggest thing, trying to recreate game-like actions and catch play, short hop progressions, date your daily vitals every single day, going into prep steps, leading into your post-catch, two-step, four-step patterns, and your decision-making. I, th I think those are just some keys to infill play. I love it. And something that uh, I've been trying to do on top of that, and, and it's something that we talk about it a lot, like we want to get our kids to be better communicators, right? And especially starts with catchers and infield. That's what, you know, we want them to communicate what's going on, 
communicate how fast the runner is, what the situation is. Hey, we're coming here. We're going there. But I've, I've taken that for granted. And so I tell them they need to be commu- good communicators. But in the past, I haven't told them what to say. And so if, if you, and you, and I'm sure you, you know this way better than I do. You go, you can go to a game and watch how an infielder talks and yep. know how good of a player he Absolutely. is. So if there's some listeners and selfishly for me, what should the infielders be talking about? What are some good ideas to help them become better communicators and just to know what to say? Absolutely. So what we do, so within our, we have a soft focus and a hard focus. So soft focus is in between pitches. Okay. That 12 to 15 seconds in between pitches. In that soft focus, what we're talking about is who's on base, how fast they are, and how fast the runner is at the play. So what we'll call out of the dugout is like 42, 43, 45. That is the representation of how fast the guy gets down to first base. So okay. the guy at home plate is a 4.5 runner to first base. We'll yell 45. The infield will go around the infield, be like, hey, 45 runner, 45 runner. And then from there, it's communicating on what situations are happening. You might be hooking at second baseman, hooking up with the third baseman. Hey, here, easy flip in the middle with the middle infielder. You might be talking with the pitcher, talking about you got him coming back. You might be hooking up with a outfielder. You might tell the outfielder, you know, if it's the third AB of the hitter, you're like, hey, you know, um, this guy slices a lot or this guy was laid a lot. We might need to readjust him. Um, I think just talking in general, one of the, I had Hunter Wilson this summer. He played at Arkansas. He's from Spyro, Oklahoma. Oh, nice. Uh, he's, he's hilarious. Uh, nickname's Cowboy. He's, uh, um, he plays for, he played for us with the bananas and he, co- he played for me in, with the bombers in the past, but this guy's a hundred miles an hour all the time, but I love him because he's always talking. He's always in the game. And, you know, the first game that he was playing, he was playing second base in our shortstop go came back in and said, Gillum, does this guy ever shut up? <laughs> and then they ended up being best friends after yeah. that. But those little tendencies of understanding time of the runner, understanding when, understanding the sun, understanding how to communicate. Like if, if you do lose a ball in the sun, do you practice that? Yeah. Um, all of those little, I, I think just communicating at all times keeps us locked into the game. Yeah. Um, but helps us stay aware of any plays that are going to happen in the future. Too. No, and and it's something that that we that we we just recently started doing it because we've been able able to practice after school. We get an hour until December first, and it's something that they never really thought of. And the more that they do it, the more comfortable they're doing it. And you'll see them, you know, hey, hey, I got you right here. Or especially if, if somebody makes a bad play, they're like, hey, you're right, you know, just talking yeah. and just being confident with your teammates and just talking to them like you talk to them in the dugout. And I think I the biggest think thing. Huge. I think the biggest thing I want to touch on this because I understanding the proper way to talk to and how you can visualize it. For instance, a guy's walking, you know, or a guy, oh, a guy's, a pitcher has a three zero count. Mm-hmm. Don't be saying, "Hey, don't walk this guy." Sure, you know, um, the word "don't" doesn't reside in our brain very well. We can't visually see that. So, like, hey. Give me a ground ball. I can visualize that. Mm-hmm. Hey, throw a ball in the outer half. Pound the zone. Pound the bottom of the zone. Hit the catcher's net. Something that they can visually see is huge. And always staying positive. You know, just always staying positive. But also with your body language because it doesn't whisper. It definitely screams. Yeah. So especially after after you make an error. Like one of our things at South Mountain, if you make an error in practice, you have to automatically get back. Hit me another one. Mm-hmm. So it's getting your mind back to going of where you're at. And, and 
I, I don't have time to pout. I don't have time to worry about it. I got to get to the next pitch. So anytime you hear our guys, if you came to our practice and there was a ball that's bobbled, kill them, hit me another one. You know what I mean? So I like that. Um, so I think that's a big piece of it too. Oh, for sure. And like you said, it's, it, baseball beats us down enough as it is. So having teammates pick you up in a time that you need to, man, it, that could be, be the difference between winning the next batter or, or not. So, but anyways, so round two with you. It's been awesome. I love the yellow uniform. I can't Appreciate wait. It, I can't wait to see your presentation tomorrow. And uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? No, anything man, you've been you killing it on this podcast, man. I'm just I happy to be that. on here. Um, how many? How many guys? Are, how many podcasts? Uh, Eighty-one right this week. Eighty-one, man. So it seemed like yesterday we were just yeah, week one. Uh, we you were, were week just, one. Yeah, doing week one. Me and me and Ryan. Ryan yeah. was over at the house the other day cooking Love steaks. Ryan. Him, JT McGuire, and yeah. and Kai. So it was a good group. Of five. Those guys, man. It's uh, you know, it's fun. It's fun doing this stuff, but, you know, just like anything else, you know, we all, you know, it's awesome what you're doing. And, Appreciate you know, that. learned a lot from the podcast and happy to be on it. Glad we can share and see if we can make somebody else better. Absolutely. Appreciate that. Awesome, brother. Good to see you, man. Here's Matt Tellerico on all things base running. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, you're one of the guys, my favorite guys to follow about kind of a, a specific topic. And, and we're talking about base running today. I'm sure you've gotten a lot of that in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky. I, I got to speak a couple of times in New Jersey and then um, at the ABC in Dallas. And obviously here I get to meet a lot of a lot of cool coaches that, you know, I didn't know, knew who I was. So it's cool. We get to talk a lot about base stealing. We get to talk about a lot about baseball. So it's fun. For sure. And before we got started, you mentioned that you are developing a book that may be yeah. out in the next couple of months. So wh- let's just start with that. I'm trying. Okay. So I'm going through this uh, publishing and printing process. Everything else is done. I've had a lot of great people help me uh, finish it. So you can't do something like this on your own if you're, you're a baseball coach. So, uh, you know, Denton Sagerman helped formatting. Justin Dedman helped me out. Really sm- people way smarter than I am to, to just help through the process. But I- I'm proud of it. I think... Um, you know, it, it covers pretty much everything, and I'm just looking for the best way to get it out now. So I'm hoping in January, but yeah. Oh, that'll be, that'll be awesome, and uh, and I'm looking forward to that as well. But so I I listened to you at the ABCA, and you did a fantastic job. The Thank presentation you. was very very good, and so my head coach and I were like, man, so how do we implement his stuff? Now I know you have a website, stillbases.com, and you do do a fantastic job on there. But Thank you. let's say that. I well, let's just go from from today on. So, say that I wanted to implement, you know, your base one stuff. So, your level one foundational stuff in the next couple of weeks. Can we start with first base? Yeah, yeah. I think the the main thing is you have to be willing to put the time in practice. Okay. Like so, like right now, if you know that you can't just make it a priority. Don't do it, right? Because yeah. it's just enough to get you in trouble. Sure. So, some of the things we do, like. Basic things and Coach Lovelady at UCF. Um, when I came over at Wright State, I remember sitting with him and saying, "Hey, can we move base stealing to the to, to the very start of practice? Like right when they're getting unstretched, they're kind of ready to go." First, um, we all have this thing. We all have this idea, depending on the program you play, like when practice is over, from our habits as coaches to make schedules. So at the end of, let's say, batting practice, you end with the majority of time. Well, when they get right. done with batting practice, practice is over, mm-hmm. and when you throw in like, like oh. Yeah, mentally, whether they're there or not, sure. right? So if you throw in like, hey, we're going to do an, an extra 15, 20 minutes of base base running, base stealing, right. they're gone. They're going through the motions and we Great. need them there. So number one, 
if, if you can't make it a priority, it just, and that's fine. People can win without doing that. They, I mean, there's a lot of teams that do that. But if you're interested in what we're doing, that's number one. Okay. Number two is teach them the foundations of how to get a lead off. And more than anything, teach them how to measure using their, their steps and their footwork. Okay. So when, um, when I was in college, I can remember when I was in, uh, 13 years old, actually, we, that was the first time we were able to get a lead off in the local high school, Snyder High School in Fort Wayne, sent some players over and they taught us how to get a lead off, a secondary, how to get back to the base. That was really the last piece of information I got about base stealing until I got like, Jason Smith in college at, at Manchester and then Derek Woodley, who's the head coach at Defiance, like mm-hmm. two great coaches. But I can remember Coach Woodley talking to me after I got picked off once um, that uh, that I should look at different ways to get a lead off. And, th- and then I started thinking about base stealing a little bit from that day. But cool. So after you get the foundation, how can you repeat it? Right. And For me, that's the very basic stuff. Okay. And I, that's not the cool stuff I get to talk about today. And that's sure. not why um, I feel like coaches ask me a bunch of questions. But that's the, that's the best stuff. Okay. It doesn't seem like it. But if you want to do some of the fancier things, you have to have that groundwork in. So that's where I'd start. Master the groundwork. Mm-hmm. And then after you're like, okay, our guys can do this with their eyes closed. Then we start adding some stuff. Okay, and something that I struggled with, I was a guy who could run a little bit, mm-hmm. not a good base stealer. The only reason I stole bases, some of them, because I could run. And so I, I didn't have that anticipatory reaction that you see a lot of your guys, you've been able to train that. And so when I, I didn't know what I was looking at at first, like when I was going, I would just wait for a big leg kick and then I would just take off. Yeah. So. Are there some are there some things that you can share with us about what you share with those guys about what they're trying to pick out and look for? Yeah, well, first everybody's different, mm-hmm. and I think it's important that like if if you have a hitter who's struggling, you get him in the batting cage. Mm-hmm. If you got a base base runner, base stealer who's struggling, you tell him in front of the whole team, like stop getting picked off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you get mad at them. Yeah, there's such a big difference, right? right? And I think first it's like you've got to treat guys as individuals. You got to be able to get them away from the group and you got to talk to them about like, hey, look, what are you going through right now? What are you seeing? What are you looking at? We look at their stance and their setup. And I think the main thing is guys try too hard to look for something. Okay. I think guys look for like magic. I'm going to look at his heel. I'm going to look at his shoulder. I'm going to look at his build. Our center fielder says it best. Like he, he tries to look through the pitcher. Okay. If he can see the stands behind the pitcher, he knows his eyes are relaxed. And it, it doesn't seem to make sense, but when you play shortstop, you don't look at the contact point. You look at the hitter, you look right. at the catcher, you can see the umpire, so you can get a good reaction. If you're staring at the contact point, your reaction is always delayed because you're shocked when it came to you. Right. Right. So I think number one, just being able to, uh, just being able to relax a little bit yeah. and say, well, you don't always need like the best jump. So right when the pitcher picks up his foot this much, I'm off. Mm-hmm. You don't always need that. In fact, some of the best jumps you see in pro ball, I'll, I'll play video, which is helpful for, for guys that they don't start moving to the foot's up a little bit. Okay. They're not trying to get the perfect jump. If you try to get the perfect jump, you start guessing, you start getting vulnerable. Confidence goes down. Right. No, I, I like that a lot. And I like that you're not saying, okay, you have to look at this. You have to look at that because I was always taught, I think it was front heel. And yeah. I, I just, it, it was, it wasn't giving me very many options, yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so you guys just rep that every day for, I mean, how much time do you guys usually spend on base running every day? Well, I always say like when, when I, when I speak today, I'll say 15 minutes of practice. I don't know how honest that is. 
All right. Um, because we, we start to look at conditioning and we can do baseball stuff during conditioning, mm-hmm. but we, we can do athletic movements during conditioning. So I would consider conditioning a part of our base ceiling. So if okay. you look at some of that, we try to create that base mm-hmm. that with our guys, like I don't want to talk about lateral acceleration during baseball practice. Okay. I don't want to talk about how to get in a better stance in baseball practice. Okay. I want to talk about leadoff, steps, returns, jumps. That's all I want to talk about. So when you can trim the foul like that, then we're like 15 to 20 minutes every single day. Okay. If we're playing a game, a lot of times like right after their dynamic warm-up, we'll even just, just touch on it. We just yeah. do it every single day. And you might have some keys from the other guy that you're seeing on the day, and that's kind of where yeah. you review it. So we watch a lot of video. Um, anymore, you can find video anywhere, right? So we don't have fancy software, but we'll get – like I'll look all over the internet, look for anything I can find um, to make game plans for the hitters anyway. So through that, just through their body type, if I can get lucky and get a pickoff on video, it, it helps a ton. Sure. Um, sometimes scattering ports help, sometimes they don't. So I just want to know, like, what is his body type and what do I think he's going to do to stop us um, today, if anything? So we're always aware the teams are going to have a game plan to stop us. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we can't counter that. Sure. So yeah. we, we, we accept that this battle that we, we might have to play in. If the battle's not there, if it's much easier, we're going to be fine. Sure. But if it's really difficult, well, we, we're prepared for that. What about dirt ball reads? So do you guys play on turf? Uh, sometimes. I have some turf, mostly grass. So here's the thing. We used, we used to be really good at them. When mm-hmm. I was at Dayton that, that year, we led the country in stolen bases and um, we were good at dirt balls too. Mm-hmm. When we get to turf, like catchers just pick it, and I don't. It's not that we can't be safe. Mm-hmm. It's what if you? What if you got a guy that's? If you give him enough pitches, he's going to steal and he's going to be safe. He's got okay. the feeling that when he takes off, he's going to be safe. But two pitches before that, he got a dirt ball read and got thrown out. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden, it becomes too high risk. However, when we play on dirt, we still want to be able to turn that switch on. Okay. So we'll, we'll work on it. I, I will say it went from my top priority in our game plan as as this team that I coach at Wright State mm-hmm. versus Dayton. It was like one of the top priorities. So it's fallen down some notches in okay. how we work on it. We'll talk about it. We work on it more than we work on like sliding, mm-hmm. but we don't work on it like we work on base stealing. I, I think the big thing is for us especially is like, I think you have to, you can't throw drills for Durbo Reach. You can't, yeah. unless you got a pitcher, a coach, it's like ready to go from the mound. Like our head coach is like, could still pitch, okay. pitch in the big leagues probably if you wanted to. If you got somebody like that, it can dial it up. It's different. Mm-hmm. Most teams don't. Like we yeah. didn't before Coach Sogard. So I think using machine that um, has some adjustability for balls and strikes okay. and then blocking the catcher. So you can't see the catcher, whether it's a curtain, it's a portable mound, something so that when I'm getting a secondary, it forces me to see the angle of the pitch okay. and not the catcher. Interesting. You know, so. I like that. I haven't heard that because we're usually either reading knees or whenever I was in high school, it was if you see glove flip, then yeah. you know, for, especially for your fast guys yeah. and in high school level. And that was something that that I that I took away, but that, that's a really good point. Well, maybe it's it's also like, what if you weren't? What if you accepted the whole year if the pitcher spikes a fastball, we're just not going to get a dirt ball. Mm-hmm. But if we see slow spin mm-hmm. of the breaking ball at a certain trajectory, right, then we can go. So I think it just depends on the team you coach. Oh, definitely. And so let's uh, let's go ahead and move to second base. Now this was this for a lot of people. They say this is the easiest base to steal. Not for me. Not when I was playing. Mm-hmm. I was so. Like, I, I don't want to say nervous, but I was just anxious because was I getting off too far? Yeah. Is there somebody behind me? 
uh, how far can I get to be able, when should I still like that? Those are all things that, that I, that was going through my head. That's why I wasn't very good at it, but you know, just walk us through kind of how you teach that a little bit. No, I mean, when I hear you talk, I, I think those are real feelings that all base runners have. Okay. Like, you know, and that's why like when we talk about stealing third or second, it's like, could we get you a couple more feet on your leadoff? Isn't nearly as important as can I get you comfortable? Mm-hmm. You know, if I can get you comfortable, even if you're comfortable, even a few steps back, and then I can teach you how to move. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can teach you how to move to get to where we need you to get, then that fear of people being behind me goes away. Right. You know, and I think yeah. trusting, you know, trusting me as if I'm, you know, at first base, trusting me and our communication grows and how we look at each other, how we talk to each other, um, how I take your shin guard when, when you hit a double, like Mm -hmm. our quick communication, I don't have much time. So if I say whatever, you know, exactly what I'm talking about and we can get on a game plan again, you know, you're not alone. Right. You know, I think you can't, you can't send a guy out there alone. You can at the beginning, but once they start playing defense, like if you steal 30 bags, Mm -hmm. you're not just walking over people anymore. They're going to, they're going to have plans and they're going to have plays. So, we, we prepare for that. We prepare all of our guys, even if you might steal one or two, okay. to have like the defensive capability if somebody could steal 30. No, definitely. And that's putting a lot of pressure on the on the pitcher to be quick to the plate and make, make his good throw. Well, especially with the reputation that you guys have. That's And that's something that, that T talks about, all about, this pressure yeah. burst fight. And I yeah. love that. I think that's, that's a fantastic quote. Yeah. But what do you do for just – because you see a lot of varying leads at second base. You've got guys that basically walk to the shortstop yeah. and then back up, yeah. and then you've got guys that are right in line, yeah. guys that move around with outs. Uh, what's your process on that? Well, generally, we're in line. Okay. And, and the reason why is if guys get deep, they never walk all the way back up. <laughs> yeah. They think they do, yeah. but they don't. Typically, we're in line if we're going to steal, if we're yeah. not, if like our right fielder's a big-time hitter or somebody's on fire at the time. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to, let's say there's two outs with him up and we're not going to steal third, then we're going to just go back. We're going to second and third, down second, just going to go back and try to take the angle around yeah. third. But we try to, there's really two things we do. We used to have like a medium depth and a deep, deeper depth. And we just try to keep it simple. You're either in the baseline waiting for a feeling and an opportunity mm-hmm. or you're deep trying to score. Okay. Now, I met with a guy once. Um, so through my site, I get to meet a bunch of cool people, sure. reach out, right? And um, he said he was a math teacher and he was showing me numbers, which I don't, I'm not a math teacher. So he's showing me some numbers based on like one specific, like if I take one step back, my odds um, of being safe go down. If I take two, I'm still but he was, he, well, he was saying if, if you're running straight to the bag, right? Okay. Because you don't have to banana when you're stealing, so you're going straight to the bag. So he was talking about kind of like a hybrid between the depths that wouldn't hurt you on a stolen base, but would it dramatically increase your round. And it was just a couple steps back he thought was optimal. For me, still, even with the information, it's like if I can get them straight, mm-hmm. that way I know on a bang bang play that didn't go on our, our way, it wasn't because we were one half step back. Okay. But, and so you're starting them in line. Say a ball is to the outfield, and it's yeah. going to be a coast play at home. Do they immediately start their round? Is that, is that what yeah? You're well, I think you kind of. We don't necessarily talk about rounds necessarily. Okay. First, we talk about turning, like okay. using the bag to turn. Mm. That doesn't mean they won't naturally get around. We're ho- hoping we're we're athletic enough that we're not going to just like end up in the grass and hit the first base <laughs> coach. Yeah. So we'll just talk about you. Your goal is to stay in the dirt. Okay. If we can stay in the That's dirt good. without getting around at all mm-hmm. and without stopping, 
there, that's a better job. So if the, the field is a square, rounding it would suggest we make it a circle. Right. Where we're talking about making more of like a stop sign out of it. Okay. So I'm trying to make sharp cuts off the bags. Right. Minimize the extra steps. Yeah. Cool. I, I like yeah. that a lot. And one, like for that, one thing we'll do is like if you – have you ever seen those big bungees that have like a waistband to like, them? Yes. It looks like you're guiding like a mm-hmm. like a pony around. Yeah, right? yeah. So I'll put those around their waist and then pull them when they're hitting the bag. Okay. So, and it'll like suck them right back mm-hmm. into the line to get mm-hmm. the feeling of turning. Um, I know uh, talking about just turning the head, talking about leaning, all mm-hmm. those things help specific players. But how can we keep you in the dirt? Right. You know. I like that, and and you said that that you guys start every day with with uh, banded warm ups. Is that is that every day, or is that just if we start with? I'm sorry, with what? With like your so your lateral stuff. Okay, yeah. Like no, the bands um, on your waist. I saw that at the ABCA, and I was yes. like, man, those are really good. No, um, what I try to show at the ABC is like kind of like a buffet of stuff that we might do. Yeah. My my goal was to get a, get a, a high school coach, a college coach, anybody listening that. Um, they could say, okay, well, we could mix this in. And drills that it is more popular now, so it's easier. Like drills that you don't have to – I don't need 20 coaches watching if I can give you a goal. Right. So any any drill works. So like, right. yeah, so we'll, we'll mix uh, in some like banded starts or some partner races or some drills that like mess with their eye position to get them to look down to hopefully, hopefully – um, uh, fix fix their first few moves without mm-hmm. them thinking. Now, then I can walk around and I can say, "Hey, try try to do this with your stance. Yeah. Try to do this." And um, so then, just from there, let's say let's say in conditioning. So it's not every day, but if we're doing conditioning, it'd be every day in conditioning. So okay. it depends what gotcha. time of season. So we try to balance our conditioning. To have, number one, it'd be like a technical focus. Okay. Um, and then towards the end, we start blending into like now you're partnered up with somebody fast mm-hmm. with uh, same speed as you. And then by the end of it, it might be more of a team thing. We follow that recipe every day. Technical, okay. so you know what you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. We stop thinking a little bit and then we stop think- thinking altogether and get them to compete. Because at the end of the day, like you've got, and I think like a lot of these like velocity arm building programs, mm-hmm. if you look at the formulas, they all involve you throwing the ball hard. Right. Whatever weight the ball is or whatever distance you're throwing hard. Right. When we run, we tri- like if you were the most motivated guy and you're like, I'm, I need to fix my 60 mm-hmm. and you go up and start running 60s, you're not going to get results because after you run one or two, you're just toughing it out. We right. don't want to ever just tough it out. I want tough kids. Sure. But I want to put them in position where, like, if me and you started doing sprints in this short hallway, mm-hmm. we can recover and run as fast as we possibly can again and again and again. That's really good. So that's kind of our focus in that recipe. So let's say it's a, it's a Wednesday and you don't feel like being there. Mm-hmm. Well, you partner up with me, and if I win, I'm going to talk about it till Thursday. <laughs> and then nice, all of a yeah. sudden, like, I tricked you to run hard again. Then yeah. we recover, and then we do it again. And our strength program is great. Um, Cole does an awesome job with our guys. Just it's a culture, I, and it's it's not even us. Like put us aside. It's like Burdick, our right fielder, or our left fielder, Weatherford, our center fielder. Those guys have played a ton of games, mm-hmm. and they're physical. They're big and strong. We have more guys. Like Alders, I could name them all, but you look at these guys. They're big, physical, strong guys mm-hmm. that can kind of lead the way in the weight room and say like, "This is how we do it." Mm-hmm. You know. We, we need powerful guys. You combine yeah. that with mobility. You combine it with our speed training. 
altogether get you a more athletic guy. So we try yeah. to do that every day to answer your question like the longest way possible. No, no, I, I but, really I'm glad that you went in depth with that because it, it feels like once you get to the season, there's so many things you can do. But yeah. I'm always looking for things that I should do if that, yeah. if that makes because I could I could come to this convention, I could do everything, but I, I really couldn't. Like I could try yeah. to do everything, but I'm I'm yeah. just trying to figure out. You know what? Uh, what would be the best? Because we go through same dynamic warm up almost every day, and I'm like, okay, we need to we need to switch some different things up. But but if, if you don't mind, I'm gonna hit you with some rapid fire real quick. Yeah, so, let's do it. Uh, foot on the bag when you're turning does it matter? Foot on the bag when I'm turning, like when I'm rounding like, the base. Yes, rounding bases. I don't care. Hit okay. the inside of it. Okay. And then what do you say to the kids whenever they see a line drive? What what word do you tell them? If it's a hit and run, I. They run. Okay. We get doubled off unless if it's so obvious. If if I'm stealing, mm-hmm. I'm hoping hoping the hitter doesn't hit it. Okay. Because hopefully we're not going without a good jump. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the hitter's trained with the base runners. He knows what a good jump is. Sure. So unless there's two strikes. Now, if there's two strikes, again, it just depends how well you picked up the ball. So mm-hmm. if I'm stealing without the steal sign, which for us is all, almost always, mm-hmm. um, I don't make our guys peak. So the reason why is it's got to slow you down. Yeah. It's got it. I like if Good. not, like if you were running a sprint, if you were running a hundred meter dash and you're in a close one and you mm-hmm. look, it's got to hurt. I don't know, but people say it doesn't, it's got it. <laughs> okay. But um, let's say you don't find it. Then as a first base coach, I, I'm going to yell the spot on the field. The ball is if it's in the air, okay. if I don't say anything or if I say I get on it or something, that means you just go. So if you don't find okay. it, I'm like the last line of resort. If I say right field, right field, right field, that gives you some place to look and mm-hmm. you know, it's in the air. So come back while you're looking, okay. you that's know, good. so that's what we try to do. That's how we try to balance. It. And then what, uh, what if you, so you're getting your secondary at second. So I, this is what I always say. Hey, we're going back on a line. Yes. Just, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. That's like what that, we say that's too. just like the baseline of, uh, I know, People Versus like freeze. freeze. Yeah, it, no, like we go. Was... I used to say freeze actually. Uh, Greg Lovelady, when I came over, he was big on making guys go back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd, when you'd say freeze, you'd get the, like, hey, man, there's nothing you could have done about that one. Right. But then you find out when your mindsets go back, they can get back on that one. So I've changed over the last three or four years. We go back. And that is something you have to work at. Yeah, you no, absolutely. That and, and that's something that most still haven't, haven't heard before. And it's like, no. So having yeah. that conversation, I think, is vital. Yeah. But Matt, I appreciate your time, and you've been an awesome guest today. And well, thanks is there for anything having else me. that you want to throw out for our listeners. No, I appreciate being down here. I appreciate you guys having me. I look forward to. I'm speaking here in like 15 or 20. Well, I'll change here in 15 minutes. I'll speak here on the hour. But I, I you know, I appreciate these guys coming out, and I always love talking about. It. So thanks for awesome. your time. Thanks, I appreciate your time. All right, Matt. Here's Ryan Fulmer on building culture and your program. Coach Fulmer, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Well, how long have you been at, at ORU? Man, I tell you, I, I, I've been here since 2003. Okay. I, I was here nine years as, as an assistant coach under okay. Rob Walton, who was the head coach at that time. That's right. Um, took over uh, six years ago. So okay. Perfect. Been here since '03. Been yeah, a while. yeah. So, uh, so you were, you've been here a long time. Great guy to learn from as well, Coach Absolutely. Walton. And so you guys, and even in why, even when when you were an assistant and continued on when you were a head coach, you guys have been just rolling. Yeah, you know, I've been fortunate throughout my career to be around a lot of really good coaches. Uh, obviously, Rob being one of those mm-hmm. one of those guys, but uh, worked at, at Oklahoma State as well. Mm-hmm. Played for Gary Ward, who was oh, an outstanding coach. coach. Tom Holiday then took over. I worked for Tom. Played for Tom as well. 
Um, you know, my dad, my background is he was a, a high school football coach for 35 years and I have a brother that's a high school baseball coach, a brother that's a college baseball coach and yeah. another brother that's a college football coach. So, um, you know, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of those kind of guys throughout my career and mm-hmm. kind of help me uh, guide my path a little bit too. So, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I, I'm ready to talk with you just about the culture that you're building here. Yeah. And then all, again, with player development too, but, but let's go ahead and start with that. So uh, let's, uh, I, I, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Sure. So you guys probably aren't getting the Big 12 SEC guys, but you're still competing against those guys. So tell yeah. us about your process of, sure. of what, who you're recruiting or the type of guys maybe, or is it just a you guys are really just really focused on player development aspect of it? I think it's all those things. I think first and foremost, you, you know, it starts with a recruiting process mm-hmm. and the kind of players you bring into your program. Um, and as you said, we, we haven't been blessed with a lot of, Big time recruits, but uh, but I promise you, we've had a lot of really really good players walk and through our programs, picks. and a lot of high draft picks end up coming out of here as well. We talked about one of those guys today, and mm-hmm. and Jose Trevino, another local guy, Matt Watley, who's in the same organization, who's a local product as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, it starts with that process. You know, you got to make sure you get good kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think to fit the culture that we have, to fit the university that we're um, that we're coaching under. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think first and foremost, you have to make sure that you're bringing in good quality kids, and we've been able to do that. I think the second big part of that is not only do they have to be good kids, but you know, they're going to have to be able to play some. Yeah, um, right. Exactly. So I, I think our recruiting coordinator, Ryan Neal, has done an outstanding job. He and I started working here together in 2003, and, and I think we've established the kind of player that we're looking for um, and the, bringing them into the culture that we've kind of created here over a long period of time. So. We've been lucky, number one, to have good kids. I think the second part of that is to have good players. And then there's a big part of that that's development as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when you do get good kids that are passionate about getting better and you give them some good information, give them a great place to, to learn and, and, and to be around a good culture, uh, I think it develops into a good player, and we've been fortunate. Well, tell us more about your culture. Yeah, you know, Oral Roberts is obviously a non-denominational Christian university. Mm-hmm. Uh, that believes in the whole person. And that's a big part of our culture is uh, to make sure their guys are developing a lot more than what they're doing on the baseball field. So they're developing in that part, but academically, spiritually, um, this is a great place for kids to learn and grow and, and to really end up becoming the best player that they can be. Our distractions are a, a lot smaller than a lot of other places and a lot of other schools. So we're very proud of the culture that's created here, not just by our program, but the university. Awesome. And so uh, the guys are listening. They're like, "Okay, Coach Palmer, you got to give us something that you guys are doing <laughs> off the field to to build the young man." Because I mean, we're in yeah. we're in the young man building business. Sure. Now, whether it's with me with fourteen to eighteen year olds, yeah. or you with eighteen to twenty two to twenty three. But what are some things that you guys do to really make sure that they understand what the culture is like, what that aspect is, and then it, you know, and some different things as yeah. far as that goes. Well, I really think it really develops out of two places. I think, number one, your program has to have a set of core values that okay. you communicate on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, we use a simple acronym, ORU. We talk about outstanding effort. Mm-hmm. The R stands for a relentless pursuit, and the U stands for an unconditional commitment. Um, so those are basically the pillars and the core values of our program. I think that's extremely important that those be a part of what you try to do every day Mm -hmm. and try to build your culture that way. I think the second and maybe as big or bigger a part is 
you have to develop leadership within within your program. Um, and it doesn't have to be upperclassmen all the time, but the guys that have been through it um, have a chance to establish the culture in a lot of ways that a coach cannot. You know, what happens in the locker room, what happens off the field, what happens in the dorm, what happens when they're eating breakfast or lunch or dinner together. Uh, those are things beyond our control. But I feel like if you have a good culture and you, you understand what your core values are, your leadership can really instill those in all the guys in your program. Definitely. And, and I love that, that you guys have those those pillars. And I think that for any of the listeners that are out there, it's, that's an easy way to make sure that, hey, these are the things that when you come here or when whenever you, uh, for my instance, whenever you're a freshman throughout your senior, these are what we're looking for this is it, from yeah. the young man. But but how do you how do you teach those? Like how do you make sure that that they you almost over communicate yeah. those? I think you over communicate under assume, right? That's <laughs> yeah. a lot of the analogy that, like that. The, the, that people use. So uh, again, we make it a a part of what we do every day. Sometimes it's up front and it's in your face, and other times it's through subliminal messages that that you may spread uh, throughout. So whether it's signage throughout, whether it's something you talk about. I think there's a lot of different ways to do that, but uh, you create the culture that you want. And, and we understand that this is has to be intentional, it has to be deliberate, it has to be something that you work on all the time. And, and, and for us, a lot, it. yeah, a lot of that is, you know, what you do every day, how you act every day. Those pillars are just really words. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we put those words into action? So um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. All I can tell you is we're very deliberate, we're very intentional. Uh, with how we approach it and what we do on a daily basis to make sure that our guys understand those pillars. Oh, I, I love it. And, and Coach Fulmer, it's it's truly is a, a pleasure and honor to be able to uh, get to interview you today. And, and those are my two favorite subjects, culture <laughs> and how are we building better baseball. Players. There's a lot to go into it. And, you know, it, it's funny when, when you start listening across college football right now, the three biggest names, I'm a huge football fan, so three big names are out there. You're talking Nick Saban, you're talking Urban Meyer, you're talking – uh, Dabo, Sweeney, and Clemson, and the first thing those guys always talk about inside the program is the culture that they're trying to create. So, and they're all three different, very, very different, different very different. And uh, uh, I'm a guy that likes to read, so read a lot of uh, John Gordon stuff, or read a lot along those coaches. So, you know, it's a continual learning process on how to make that better. But it's become a huge part of college athletics anymore, and we're we're happy to be part of it. Definitely. Well, thanks for being on the show today. Appreciate Coach. it. Thank you. Here is James Valade on a coach's number one job. Coach Valade, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. De- definitely. Round two, yeah, absolutely. Uh, last time you were on, we talked about all things Oklahoma State, but today I want to talk about things that you do and you do well. And I- I've only met you a handful of times, but you have an uh, unbelievable ability to develop a relationship like that. So I really want to first off by how do you do that? Like, what's, what's your process? I just, I think it's just valuing people in general, um, trying to get to know people, trying to get to understand them and, and vice versa. So I think that's always the easiest route uh, is that when you do value somebody, it's easy to build a relationship. Yeah. Well, and you're a genuinely nice guy. Thank you. Like, that's a, <laughs> that's you. absolutely true. And and so um, another thing that, that a lot of us coaches have a problem with, and it's something that, that was kind of my thing last year of I need to do better at this, and that's learning names. And so... Like every single guy, I don't know if you like if you guys talk all weekend, like every day or what. But every single guy that I've seen, you've shook their shaken their hand, called them by their first name. How do you remember so many names? You know what? I don't know. It's one of those things that um, you know, just growing up and being a player in the game and being around, and then 
actually coaching in double A with a lot of movement on the roster. Oh, right. You got to really, right. really key in and make sure you know who everybody is. And I think that's an important way to show somebody, again, you value them and, mm-hmm. um, and the trust builds from there. Definitely. Well, we are, <laughs> we both co- are coaching in Texas and we're both now in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. And so uh, I want to talk a little bit about what you just mentioned. And you talked about what the, the most important thing is that a coach needs to do. And what would that be in your opinion? I mean, for me, the really building teammates is, is really important. I mean, teaching these guys how to navigate you know, their way through the team as, mm-hmm. as, as teammates, as guys that can build upon each other's strengths and, um, and advance even their own weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I think you really have to get to know your team. You really have to get to know your players. you got to spend time together. And to do that, you got to really spend time outside of baseball as well. And then I think sharing the game with everybody is, mm-hmm. is important, whether it's you know, your fans or – you know, the community or special needs community. Mm-hmm. So for me, building building teammates is is really important. Definitely, and you know, so you guys are getting guys from across the country. Mm-hmm. You're getting, I, I think, your last couple of classes were top ten, top twenty five, like really, really good players. And so there is most, I, I would say, and this is correct me if I'm wrong, but there's probably some ego there of, hey, I'm competing against this guy every single day, and I've got to win a spot for me to accomplish the goals that I want. So. What is kind of your practical process of how you help them get over that and to be good teammates while still competing against each other? I think it's always team concept driven. I think every you do everything you do has to have a team concept. I mean, obviously, there's individual instruction that goes into mm-hmm. it. There's individual development. But uh, the things that you put in front of the players have to be team driven, have to be the team priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the accountability side of it for everybody. Okay. And you also mentioned that you like to have to meet guys off the field. You like guys like to do things together. So, what are some things that you guys do in Stillwater that that takes them away from the baseball field and just lets them get to know you and you get to know them? Yeah, I, I think the one thing that uh, Coach Holiday's done a really good job with is is us in the community, uh, sharing our time with um, with those that are that are less fortunate, uh, identifying community needs and really getting involved in it. I think there's there's a time where as a baseball player you kind of go to them in the community, and then during the season you want them to come to you. Yeah, because when you get in the season, you have your schedule. Um, that's kind of the way it works for for us, and that's one of the priorities that Josh has put put forward for mm-hmm. for our team. Oh, definitely. And so you also you talked about keeper of the game, and that goes right in line with what I was going to ask you next, which is you want to share the game with everyone because we love the game. That's why we're in it. That's why we've devoted uh, most of our lives to doing it. And so talk to us about keeper of the game, and then talk to us about how that's led you to be able to share the game with with those that are less fortunate. Well, keeper of the game. You know, for us, it's a foundation that um, that I started in 2014. And what it allows us to do is it allows us to take kids with special needs and disabilities, give them the personal experiences, um, individual experiences in the game of baseball, also group experiences in the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. And it really just is, is a bridge between the special needs community and the game of baseball that supports existing programming like Special Olympics, Miracle League, Challenger League, Angel League. But we also create our own programming uh, for kids to be a part of baseball with Kind of like our, our out to the ball game program or mm-hmm. our national game ball program. Cool. So it you know for us keeper of the game is exactly what it is is be a keeper of the game and then the component of sharing it with the special needs community. Uh, it's really really taken off the last four or five years. Oh, I I love it. And so we actually had uh, Ben Hochter was yeah. our student manager at Reedy the last two years. And I'll tell you what, I'm gonna miss having him around this year. He was unbelievable, and he was really one of the the best ambassadors of keeper of the game and. And I, I love Ben. I, I would hire him in a heartbeat. And I know you have a special relationship with him too. Yeah, I always I always refer to Ben as my boss. So <laughs> yeah, that's ben, about right. Ben is Ben is the one that keeps me on my toes, and uh-huh. um, he's got great ideas. Uh, he's he's at everything we do, and 
this is one of those things where for, for him, I always said if you want to watch him grow up and see all the pictures, if you look at the keeper of the game photo gallery, you can see him mm-hmm. growing up the last four or five years and then see how much he's he's done you know wonderful work for keeper of the game. Oh, definitely. And before we go, the one I, one I want to leave you with, and this is a little bit personal for me, and I know for most of our coaches, and it's a dad question. So I have a four-month-old son, and uh, your son, who has a great ability to play baseball, great young man, and if I want, not necessarily on the baseball part, but if I want to be able to raise him to be a great young man that still loves the game of baseball, whether or not he gets drafted or, or whatnot, but what was your process like growing up? Because I'm, it's extremely hard being a coach's kid. So tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. No, I guess it, it seems like a tough question for a dad, but for me it was actually a little bit easy. I just surrounded him with great people. When he was growing up, he got to be around um, guys like Wes Davis, who's mm-hmm. on the coaching staff now for ORU, um, guys like Scott Krulbaugh, who's a major league hitting coach, guys mm-hmm. like Jason Wood, who's a AAA manager now. And so he's really been around some incredible people mm-hmm. uh, that have mentored him. And that took a lot of pressure off me because he'd go to the field and these guys would take interest in him. Yeah, And uh, it was it was awesome to see as a dad. So I could kind of step back and I could watch my kid grow and develop. And it was kind of the same way with other, other guys' kids. Like, like for me, um, when I was working with certain guys in professional baseball and they'd have a kid that wanted to play or even at, at uh, Oklahoma State having Donnie Walton for a year. I yeah. mean, my gosh, that's you, you talk Donnie. about life-changing for a coach. That Man. was an incredible experience for right. me. But I think Rob had that trust that I could help you know, his son. And, and I think as a dad, that's all you want. So I just surrounded him with good people. And I mentioned today in my talk about having a top five, mm-hmm. having a top five for yourself as a coach and, and growing in, in the game and growing in coaching. And then also – you have to have a top five as a, as a player, as a kid. You have to have your, your network. Mm-hmm. And so your five is surrounding yourself with five people that make you better? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, guys guys that will will advance you in the game, make you better. Uh, guys that will call you back when you call. Um, guys that will tell you the truth. Right. So th- that's an important part of it. It really is. Oh, I, I firmly believe you're the five you hang out with. Like, you show me your friends, and I'll show you what you're going to be doing in the future. No doubt. But no doubt. Uh, just back to Ryan for, for one second. So – was there? A, did, what were the conversations like uh, after games or anything like that? Because th- this is my perspective on coaches' kids. They're either the best kids or they're your most your biggest turd, if that makes sense. And there's probably not a whole lot in between. Uh, so what were the conversations like, and what did you really stress for him without being overbearing dad, which you're not? But I, I just want to make sure I'm not. Well, I think the one thing about like at the example of after the game, there has to be a time where the athlete can let the game kind of – Kind of, kind of settle in, and then there's there's teaching moments, mm-hmm. and then for me it was more of education and learning talks versus you know you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that, and then the conversations kind of carried on to him leading the conversations and kind of beating me to the things that maybe I'd want to tell him. But right. we, we definitely had a cool down period if, if the game didn't go great. So, right. So he would come to just you just like they do with the media. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Exactly. Well, Coach Blade, I appreciate you coming on again, and, and you're always a pleasure to listen to speak. So if any of our listeners get the chance to, to watch you, you're, you're a guy who wants to just change the, the change life in general through the game of baseball, so I can always appreciate that. But thanks again. Well, thanks again for having me on, John. Awesome job with the podcast. Thank you. All I right, appreciate brother. it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group, 
And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.